it's kind of largely untapped in this. I'm quite interested in exploring that terrain. And I'm also interested in this particular form because I'm quite interested in what happens when you mismatch voices and bodies. Like I'm kind of quite interested to see Cartier play a man in such an authentic way without parodying him, just saying what he said as he said it. But by putting his voice on her body, it sort of allows us to see that kind of hyper-masculinity performed in a, in a different way and, and we do see in a different way. Um, and I guess I'm also really interested in documentary, I'm interested in, in telling contemporary Australian stories, so I guess that's the interesting verbatim, and, and being a witness to my world rather than, than judging it, kind of um, finding a way to, to take voices that are often misunderstood and or misrepresented and, and putting them into positions of authority and inviting audiences to, to listen to people they might not usually listen to more. Yeah, that's the intro. <laughs> and maybe I could just ask one more question just for the actors. It's obviously a very um, technical performance that's required from you. It's something that's quite different to normal theatre where you get a script and you start with the text that's written on, on the page. And I wonder if anyone would like to talk about any particular challenges or things that they find really tricky um, with this process of receiving these, these pre-recorded um, conversations already. Um. I, I guess I kind of, when I first auditioned, I uh, was a bit skeptical of the headphone debate thing. And I was like, well, you said it's good, and you're there, and you can do it. You know, why don't you have an audio track for it? But then as I was learning the technique and, uh, and, and doing it, and of course doing the audition, it was, uh, I could see what Rosna was going for. And I guess um, it's the accuracy, and I think she would explain it sometimes, that it's like a documentary on stage. And if we had the script, and you try to you put in your interpretation of the words, uh, you know, performance after performance, eventually maybe some of the nuances might extend and exaggerate, and next thing you know, you've got a character that's there that's not really who the real person is. And we're doing shows where the real guys would come and watch it, so we've got to make sure that we really honor that, because they can knock us out. just as much detail in the voice itself um, that you do. This was not only, we're not only copying the voices, but we're also, everything, every single thing that they do, we do, even if they do a little thing with their mouth, or they cough, or they stutter, we've got to do all that too. And so you're trying to figure out a way as to why that person didn't finish their sentence, or why are they, you know, Justin Scott, Jeff Fanning, who talks at 100 miles an hour, he, he actually, a lot of his stuff, he never actually finishes his sentences. So, you know, it's finding out a reason for those little things. And so you're doing just as much detective work with the voice as much as, as so it's just like another, uh, like another way, I suppose. It's, it's just as challenging, I think, yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed the whole process, yeah. Anyone else? Uh, uh, I've got something. One thing that I found quite fascinating is that you have to learn to split your hearing. So for us, it's a very noisy show. We've got the complete interviews in our ears, like we all can hear the, the whole thing, and we hear each other, and sometimes we hear you as well. And so, although when, when you're first doing it, and if you're doing a scene on your own, you just have to be able to hear what's going in your ear and, and you speak. What happens when you start to do a scene with other people and the other people might be asking you questions is that you have to hear the interview but you also have to hear the actor because 
you know, you can imagine when there's a single five of us speaking together, it's really difficult to, to make everything out clearly. And so you have to be careful not to answer because you're answering, the, in, the, the person is answering in your ear, but the actor may not have asked you the question yet. So you have to split your hearing and one part of your brain has to listen to the interview and the other part of your brain has to listen to the actor's voices and make sure that it's um, coherent to, to you. So can I ask the last question? Are you all logging your voices to the recordings? Are you mainly speaking right bang on top of it? Just after or on top? Yeah, we're all a bit different. Tail gatings. Yeah, tail gating. Yeah, it's like... Um, <laughs> Is that, you can't hear me? Um, it's partly for the recording. Oh, right, okay. Right. Um, <laughs> should I go on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can probably hear you quite Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... I've explained it to me, like, um, yeah, tailgating, just sitting right up the arse of the car. <laughs> and, um, You don't want to pay any insurance. No, um, yeah, you don't want to crash into the car, but the car is leading the way. So you've got to stay right on it and you can't lose sight of the car, otherwise, you know, you, 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 you're lost. And for me, I don't, you know, you obviously don't want to crash because it throws out my method, which is always making sure that it's aligned behind. So. I hear it, say it, and then it's always just just there the whole time. And um, I find that you know, from time to time, you might just get on top of it, and it starts to throw me. So it's it's just that what Cardi was saying with the listening, and you don't respond until you hear. And um, yeah, that's how I get through it. Now, is, are there, does anyone else have a question? The question was about what was the uh, rehearsal process, both physically and vocally, um, for the show? Um, I think a lot of people think that because the actors have got the words in their ears that they don't have to learn anything. And that's true, they don't have to memorise their lines, but they actually have to do a lot of learning. There's a lot of detail to see, and we can see that for the first few days with the headphones where they're just going over particularly the group scenes. Um, so, so they know it really, really well, as, as well as you would know your favourite song, they know what's coming, but they're not memorising the lines and they're never given a paper script, they're just given iPods, so they're just learning it as an audio script. Um, firstly with the voice, Ros is actually very detailed, so uh, with the one-on-one stuff, some, like you know, we'll all do this during the, the rehearsal, uh, we might do some, we might do group, group work and we'll be working as a, as a group on the set, but sometimes we'll just be working one on one, so I'll be listening to Billy Dick, and Rosalind will be listening to Billy Dick as well, and we will literally go back and forth for about 10 minutes, just on one word sometimes, just saying, this is a lot, a lot, so it doesn't finish the tea, you know, and so it is actually really detailed, and you actually have to memorise that, you have to know the details of the person's voice, so there's a lot of memorising and rehearsing, but we don't have to learn like a script. Um, so, so in that respect, there's a lot of detail. Now, in terms of the physical stuff, the rehearsal process is uh, painful. Very painful. <laughs> it's a, when we're rehearsing, uh, getting to that kind of level where you can perform uh, that one-hour show, it's like training for a fight. I don't know, is anyone actually a fighter in the, in the room? Is anyone a boxer or only boxing training? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... Hi. Yeah, yeah so... It's really hard. 
but it's hard. And uh, I used to be a boxing trainer. Uh, no, no, I've been a boxing trainer, and now I used to be a boxer. And this is hard to prepare for this <laughs> in terms of the training and getting in the physique for it, right? Um, but this is the, the real challenge. It's not just the, you know, you're saying, what about the, uh, the voice? Oh, and the preparation mentally and then the preparation physically. I think the hardest thing is the combination because we've done, uh, Kari and I in particular have worked with Rosalind on two previous shows. This is the third in the trilogy. And you should actually look into Rosalind's previous shows because they're pretty amazing as well. But uh, the previous shows are really, uh, they're, I mean, the physicalities are really kind of pulled back and talk about the voice. And this is actually a combination of the, the, the voice and the physical training, and then you also got the process of actually listening. So in a scene where you're skipping, listening, and speaking to an audience at the same time, it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of rehearsing and a lot of preparation. But just in regards to when we, um, there were two little developments of about a week each for this show, but when we went into the full production, it was uh, four weeks where we started the day where Billy, who is a trainer, trained us. So we just did boxing training first thing in the morning. Then we rehearsed, which included training. And then before we were allowed to go home, we did more boxing training. So we did that for four weeks, just, and then, yeah. I dropped, I dropped about in the rehearsal in the rehearsal period when we first did it at the Sydney Festival, I was a little um ah, rotund. For my height. No, it was coming. Stories. 
yeah. and why not documentary film, for example? Uh, well, I think there's a lot of power in just taking a recorder into a, a space um, where I'm straighter. Um, I think if I had a video camera, it would be quite a different process. Also, I'm very interested in the voice, um, and I'm also interested in, in providing an imaginative space for the audience. So I really like uh, that process of reproducing the exact quality of someone's voice, um, and then working with notions of mismatching voices and bodies. I think I'm quite interested in that creative space. And when I talk about documentary, I like the definition, the creative use of facts. And, and that's something I, I like to employ in my work. I like to, you know, treat the stories with respect and fidelity and authenticity. It's, it's, I feel very grateful that people trust me with their stories. So I really want to honour that. But I also am trying to find a form where there's that space to engage the imagination. So I hope when you watch, um, you know, for example, Gus McCune, I know we have Santo here who introduced me to Gus. Um, Santo, everyone's... Uh, information that runs the only um, sports bookshop in Australia, which we only have in Melbourne. I think Melbourne is okay to love art and sports, so I, I think it's, it's it, yeah, Santa's a wonderful man, a wonderful bookshop that brings it, it's a little public sector. But like, for example, Gus Mercurio, who, um, who Santa introduced me to, who was 82 at the time of the interview and, and died a couple of months later. Although I interviewed him in his boxing gym, he was still very involved in boxing, very passionate about it. And the thing I, I, I love about seeing Justin perform his words is Justin's a young, you know, energetic man, but he's performing the words of this 82-year-old. He still has the spirit of a young man. Justin doesn't have to act old to catch his spirit. He just has to breathe the same breaths that Gus breathes. Like, Gus has a lot to say. He has to take two breaths to get to what he has to say. So I just love that, that um, bringing those two, that image and that voice together. I think there's, you know, there's, there's creative territory there. And the second question was about the actor's empathy for the characters. It's what the experience of uh, developing empathy for the characters or these real people is. Who would like to answer that? I don't know if you have to develop empathy for them. You just have to, I think you have to somehow enjoy doing their voice, which I think is slightly different. For me, it's like a weird reversal of, it's the opposite of putting on a costume which does something to you as a performer, and this is like a costume on the inside, and you, you go that way. That's how I think about it. The sort of performance um, style I like to talk about as non-interpretive acting, so they're not interpreting the psychology stories, they're going to need that empathy and they certainly don't need to judge the character and have an opinion on the character so much as just be really true to their words and trust that, you know, all that information about the character is, is actually embedded in the voice. So I think it's really important that the actor actually gets their head completely out of the way and just, it's a very technical exercise of just you know, reproducing that voice and, and, and letting all those nuances um, come out. But you know, as I might add, um, not that I disagree with that, but um, I, I can't help but care about Billy Dick. Um, I, I mean, like I said, I was in two of the shows previously, and I was all, my voice was always displaced. In, in one case, for example, I've had an older man with a Vietnamese background. Um, and in this case, this is the first show I've looked across where actually I'm almost. 100% compatible with Billy Dick, we're the same age, we're from the same cultural background, we're about the same weight, we even grew up in the same area. So we're very similar. Um, and uh, unlike uh, the other inter interviews, I actually went across to most of the interviews with Billy Dick, so I was very attached 
to him. And we were watching him actually make his way up to a world title fight. So when I'm here playing him, I feel very connected to the reality of the experience of seeing him. And I'll just kind of show you how surreal it can become for me. If you remember in the first scene, I actually say, if I walk up to him and say, no, I'm going to whack you in the face, do you remember that? And I'm just putting that as a, an example. Billy Dick used me as the example. He said, I'm going to walk up and smack Mo in the face. He's talking about me, and he walks up to me in the recording, and he uses me as a demo for Rosalind. So it's hard for me not to actually have some kind of emotional connection to it because I'm literally connected to it. But the, the really amazing thing, this is kind of finishing the story off because some of you might have been curious. Billy did uh, work his way up to the world title fight. That was the dressing room before he went out, and he won that fight. And in recent months, he actually, uh, as a world title holder, lost his belt. And that was devastating for him. But it was also devastating for me because I've got to play him for the next three months. And I've got to say to you, I've got to convince you guys that he refuses to lose, he will not lose. You know, he will die before he will let that happen. And I know it's happened, so I've got to reinvent, I've got to go back to that place. I've got to find a way psychologically to believe it again. You know, and that takes a lot. You actually have to be there with that person. And I actually find that I have to be kind of him. You know, I've got a channel to, to really capture that. Can I add that Billy D was so impressed by Muhammad's performance and felt such a kind of ownership of the, the performance that he insisted that Muhammad wear his gold hoodie that he wore. So the hoodie there is actually. <laughs> he usually had a white one, but Billy came to a new country with this one. So it's really fine. And we feel a lot of responsibility taking that very special cloak on the road. How did the rigidness um, of the voices uh, enjoy the show? And what were the reactions? Tell him about Jeff yeah, yeah. Mm. We'll start here. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Jeff is a very tough guy, um, to say the least. Three time world champion. Um, yeah, we had a, a private show for him um, when it was about to be about to open at the Sydney Festival, and it was just him in the audience, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> He wasn't briefly, he didn't say anything, he wasn't talking, you know, so we're trying to, you know, break your eyes with a few things and that just looked ridiculous and sounded ridiculous. <laughs> and then he just sort of, I don't know, we just said, well, come on, do it. <laughs> and then he took his face and we're all kind of, you know, like, oh, here we go, we're doing it. And I just had to personally just commit. That's what, well, if you if you half ass it, then you know it's not going to do anything for anybody really. So I just thought Rosalind created this. Uh, <laughs> if he doesn't mind me to talk to her, because I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> so I just committed and made sure I eyeballed him like. I eyeball the audience every night and pick out certain members, and I, I treated him no different. And uh, it didn't seem to be going well because the whole time he sort of sat there like this. <laughs> he really did. And then it ended, and I thought, oh, here we go. And um, and then he commented by saying, 
uh, if he had hairs on his arms, they'd be standing up. Which was all, well, that's amazing, but also, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and I think he blazes or he faxes or something like that. Um, but yeah, it went down a lot better than, than I thought, so I guess we, we all thought. And um, he, came he came back with his wife. And um, I remember doing a few, uh, looking at her a few times whilst I was doing Jeff, and um, yeah, she was pissing herself. <laughs> so that went down a lot better than we thought. Thank God.
and all the people who have been interviewed and who've turned up to see the show have enjoyed it. And I think that's because we we really strictly say what they say, how they say it, and we don't take piss. And I think at the end of the day, people are flattered. And they, they're hearing themselves and they agree with it. And so that, that's been my experience. Now, every question is eliciting an extraordinary response, so we've actually only got time for one more question. Sorry, just a little quick follow-up to what you were saying. I was just wondering, with, with your character in particular, whether there was also that response because these are hyper-masculine kind of macho characters and they should be represented by women. I was wondering how your character took that. Well, that's quite interesting because none of the men that I play have seen the show. Uh, there's CJ, the, the English guy, he was interviewed how long, like 10 years ago and Rosalind then lost track of him and uh, the other men that I play, yeah, haven't seen the show, so who knows? But you've played many other shows. Oh yes, I played, I played young men and old men in other shows and they, they, um, they didn't seem bothered. <laughs> I find that amazing though that CJ is the was interviewed 10 years ago. He's nowhere to be found. He's got no idea that he's a star on the show. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny if he was over there or something like that, and then he just walks out. Maybe he'd be the one that didn't find it. <laughs> and why would you have a problem with Katia playing you? I mean, she out, she out masculines any guy in his church. <laughs>